Welcome to Psychopath in Your Life. This is episode number 140, and I'm your host. You'll hear a little background noise there for a minute, but it'll go in a second. I'm your host, Diane Emerson. I'm the author of the book, Psychopaths in Our Lives, My Interviews. Today, I'm going to be going back to the United Nations. And um, in the last few episodes, I was covering the child marriages and all these things. And what really perplexes me is it appears to me that we're going backwards with all this stuff. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're putting UN troops and stuff in different parts of Africa. We're basically kind of strip mining a lot of these countries. And along with that, we're taking away their most valuable assets, their children and their women, and a lot of times the boys. And I will be talking about the boys in future episodes. So today I'm going to be talking about how the UN even get started and who were the Baileys. The Baileys are a couple of very interesting people. And interestingly enough, they came from the UK. So see how we are all in a circle here. <clears throat> so a couple odd things that I, well, this week there was times, well, every week there's times like this that I feel like my hair almost kind of self-ignites itself at times. And I don't know how I missed this in the last few years, but I was researching away and I ran into the um, latest thing about the American Psycho Psychological Association. And it's interesting because back in 2013, see, the reason we have such a slippery path here is we've never defined what any of this stuff really is. So if you look back at episodes, I think it's around 73 with the Marilyn McCann case. And then the cases after that, I go through all of the medical literature to define what is a psychopath and what is a pedophile. And what really amazed me was that nobody, the people in the white coats, nobody has defined the connection between psychopaths and pedophiles. So you'll want to go listen to those series if you wonder why I think that these things are happening and that pedophilia is, in fact, more of a personality disorder. But let's hear what the American Psychological Association had to say. Because when I was doing all that research before, the sum of it all was that they appeared in the official literature, as far as about pedophiles, they appeared to have this um, drunk, lonely um, stepdad theory when it comes to raping children. So anyway, so what they did here, see, we're kind of shifting it down into a crazy thing. So if you're a pedophile, you have a mental disorder, according to the American Psychological Association, which I vehemently disagree with, but you'll want to go and look at the previous shows. So anyway, another interesting thing is, I keep talking about these NGOs all over the place, and there was an interesting one. And here again, I'll put all the links in the description box down below. Um, there's a really big NGO called Mercy. I think it's like Mercy International. And unfortunately, um, this shows some of the problems with these NGOs. So if you think this guy from Mercy was only raping his daughter and not children along the road, then I'm not really sure we need to make a bigger connection because if you're raping your daughter, you're probably raping kids on the job. I know it's kind of a leap on my part, but anyways, there's this guy named Ellsworth Culver. Well, Ellsworth dropped over dead a few years ago, but anyway, while he was still alive, he co-founded Mercy Corps. And Mercy Corps is an NGO and they are everywhere. I mean, everywhere, big, 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 big place. Anyway, so the Mercy Corps was a charity that's delivered aid to people fleeing wars and disasters around the world. 
his daughter says she sexually abused her from when she was very small until her teenage years. As a matter of fact, um, he also sexually abused one of her best friends who was also, um, her best friend had some issues at home. So of course she became a target of the father. So he also had raped her friend when he was in the house. So it was very clear that the father was guilty, but this went on for years. I mean, she's probably... I'm guessing she's in her late 40s, early 50s. But there again, we don't start to deal with these things until we're older. So um, she, this went on for years. And she said Mercy Corp leaders were among many, many people who learned of the child's sexual abuse and did nothing. So what happened was this woman reported her father and um, went to the officials and did everything she should have done. And they pretty much stiffed her. And so what happened was, was that there was a documentary done. I think she's in Portland or somewhere. There was a documentary done. And basically, um, well, she's right. Her father raped her and this big organization is now trying to cover it up. But I checked a couple days ago. I mean, they're still in business, so it's not like anything has happened. So anyway, so yeah, watch these NGOs. So um, there's another thing that goes on here, which I'm always looking for patterns. And how a lot of this stuff gets started is by using debt bondage. And when you use debt bondage, I'm not pronouncing very well, say D-E-B-T, <laughs> um, what it does is that you get a disadvantage. This is how trafficking really, the core of trafficking starts to work. So what you do is you get somebody, not you or me, but they get somebody to owe them money, like by transporting them somewhere or taking them off the streets and giving them a place to live. And so people will go along with that. And then they say, oh, well, we fed you and housed you for a few days. So now you owe us money. And that's how the cycle of a abuse, rape, and prostitution begins. And it goes into all kinds of weird deals. I mean, I was over in Africa um, on the internet. And in Africa, I was talking a few weeks ago as far as force feeding girls to get them. Um, these girls I was talking about before were taking steroids to get fat. And they were taking the steroids to get fat to make them appear more mature to be able to get more customers. These were young girl prostitutes child prostitutes. And it's always important to say child versus, yeah, they're not women, they're children. Anyway, so um, what they were doing in these brothels is taking steroids so that they can, um, they give steroids to cows and stuff, evidently. So you can just buy them anywhere. So they take steroids to get plumper so that you can appear older, so you get more customers, because these are tiny little girls. But what happens is, there's also another thing with feeding girls. And what they do in certain parts of Africa is they have these feeding stations and these are baby girls. Okay. And in these feeding stations, and this goes on for several months, these girls are subjected to eating and they have to eat um, like, I don't know, nine or 10,000 calories a day. They sit there. The morning breakfast takes two or three hours and they're stuffing in this couscous and drinking goat's milk and stuff. And um, one Western woman tried to join the kids one day, and she made, she barely made it through the breakfast, okay, because what happens is it puts a lot of pressure on your organs and stuff. So in that culture, the getting girls to be fat part was about getting them to um, – they, they felt – Fat was more voluptuous, okay, was how they're culturally teaching themselves. So um, they were getting the kids fat to uh, make them more appealing to men because skinny is out evidently there. So anyhow, and that's also happened in China. I used to do work in China years ago. And when they opened up the thing into Hong Kong and stuff is that, you know, people, all the years of famine, people developed different kinds of eating patterns that maybe they wouldn't have developed had it not been for the famine. So 
Then I was cruising around. I ended up over on South Korea. And, you know, when I'm doing this research, I'm constantly checking the dates. Why? Because I keep thinking that I've moved into, uh, I keep thinking I, I'm, I'm 50 years in the past. It's hard to process that I'm really talking about right here and right now. So over in South Korea, what are they doing with the kids there? Well, what happens is there is that they, um, at the end of all these brothels and stuff comes children. So where do the disadvantaged children go? Well, they definitely don't go back to the surrogate families, which reminds me one second, we talk about the surrogate family next. So in South Korea, they have these islands where they put disabled children on. And what they do is they become slaves. I mean, there's no pay. They go there as slaves. And the slavery actually seems a little bit better than being locked up in an institution. So yeah, all kinds of ways that they're targeting the vulnerable around the world. Um, and while I'm at this point here, let me talk about the baby last week. Um, I put a link. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing here. Um, I put a link to the um, 60 Minutes Australia I like a lot. And they did a really good show about the baby that I was talking about last week that got left behind in India. No, in Thailand. And um, so that baby... Um, there are lots of twists with that baby. Um, I only saw one documentary about that baby, and that documentary didn't talk about the baby being mentally handicapped. It didn't talk about the father has a pedophile past, the adoptive father. didn't talk about any of this stuff. And so um, I'll put a new link down below. And evidently, the baby left behind had mental capability issues. And um, the baby, luckily, let me tell you the good stews. The baby is with his birth mother after the parents refused the baby because it was handicapped. Um, but they said in the documentary I watched that they couldn't take the baby because of um, something to do with money or something. But it turns out the adopting parents were pedophiles. So, well, at least he was. So um, anyway, so tune into that show down below. So it's pretty interesting. You know, all of this stuff with this surrogacy and stuff, um, we can't control these other countries. But certainly if anybody in our countries we're willing to see this as an issue. It's like the villages with the brothels and stuff. How hard is it to find all those places? I mean, how hard is it to find where all these children are being, you know, warehoused? Um, so if we want to take a look at all this stuff, it's like, how are we going to identify how to get these people out of there? So it, the part that I find amazing is like, I was over in this um, part of, where was I? Um, Philippines, yeah. And um, people outside of Milan, um, Manila, I think of Milan, no, it's Italy. Um, outside of um, Milan, I had it. Manila, <laughs> excuse me, I'm worse at pronunciation. So um, they actually, now this has been going on for years. So this wasn't just some random video I saw that, you know, they closed up tent, everybody was gone. Um, for the last 20 years, what's happened with the rise of our billionaire class is that the poor have been driven into the ground. Um, and, you know, that's been true everywhere. So I don't need to explain all that to you. But what's happened is, is that in some of these poor countries, they're moving the children into these places that it's really hard to fathom. It's hard to even, it's hard to process through my brain some days. And so, what where they're living is in a cemetery. There's this big, huge cemetery there, and all these children are living there. And um, the children are um, after five years, the bodies had to be buried 
unburied from the cemetery. Like some, they're, they're all like in crypts or whatever you call it. And so um, there's these walls of um, bodies. And so um, these kids have to um, knock down this wall and grab out the bones of this body that was in the cemetery. And then they put them in a bag and then the relatives of that person can go collect them because there so many people are dying. They need the space in the cemetery. So they built a whole village around this. I mean, these are thousands of people living in a cemetery. It's an entire cemetery. It's not a, um, it's not just some small place. I mean, this is an entire village. I mean, actually it's more like a town built up in a cemetery. And this is where children are living. This is where prostitution is taking place. This is where generations are being raised. So here again, how hard would it be to help those people in that cemetery? I don't know. So one other piece of news today, um, I get a lot of questions. And so what I'd like to do is, excuse me, I kind of figure if if a a bunch of people are asking the same question, maybe other people have the same question. This isn't a true crime channel. So I'm not going to be talking about Epstein every time that it comes on the news. But here's the deal is Epstein is really just a point here. Um, It really has been a great thing to raise awareness because I've been covering Epstein for a really long time. So if you go back to last year, I started covering the Epstein case. And when it finally blew up is when it caught everybody's attention. So let's not lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of victims in Epstein. So when you're... um, so this isn't a true crime channel. So I will tune into crimes when there's something that I feel like I can add to it. <clears throat> but as far as a day to day, I didn't find it. You know, it's like when it hits the news and it's everywhere. Um, like, for example, there was a big thing about ABC News. There was a hot mic talking about previous knowledge of Epstein. Well, a lot of us knew about Epstein for a long time ago. And The other thing is, is that what was so surprising about that? I mean, did we really think that there wasn't some concerted effort to bury all this stuff for the last several years? So I'm not really sure whatever we found so surprising about it. But here's the thing. Um, Amy Robach had said that ABC didn't let the story go on air because the palace, you guys, the UK, threatened to sue the network. And there were concerns Prince William and Kate Middleton. How did I get this microphone over here? would no longer grant ABC any interviews. See, we get back to the old money, right? So the hot mic video was also recorded just two months. This is is the part that I find interesting. Two months after ABC News president, James Goldston, it's G-O-L-D-S-T-O-N, I thought it was Stone, was pictured, okay, this, the head of ABC was pictured dining two months before this happened, okay? Um. He was reported dining with Prince Charles and President Trump. See, I told you all along, if you go back to those other things when Trump was visiting you guys, I was all along, I kept saying, he's there to whisper to the queen. Yeah, yeah, he did. And so um, they're all having their dining and um, at Winfield House during the administration's state visit to London back in June. See, I knew there was a reason why he was visiting there. It was to make sure that everything stays quiet for Epstein. So, and along the same time, on the same meal, same location, Prime Minister Theresa May, my favorite gal, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders were also seated at the same table as the three men. Enter the women. Three men, two women, all talking about burying the case. Okay. So, the other thing that um, came out, which I found kind of interesting, was that Dr. Bodden, who I wouldn't trust for a second, but hey, do your own research, okay? The guy shows up at a lot of different murders and stuff. It seems to have a pretty 
concrete state view of things. But he was hired to come in and do an autopsy, evidently by the family, I'm assuming. And um, Biden um, did an autopsy, and they replaced this, came out with this big news release, and they actually did a um, released a uh, X-ray of the next scan. Well, everybody was going crazy about this. It helped to confirm the he was murdered people's theories, which I still believe that he was body switched. Okay. And I haven't changed my position on that. And if I change it, I'll certainly let you know, because I believe in fluid thinking. I believe in changing my mind when things change. But anyway, so yeah, look at it this way. Of course, he had an x-ray of a snap neck. But does that mean it was Jeffrey Epstein's neck? Or was it the rest in peace homeless man who looks like Jeffrey Epstein? So when you get to thinking about some of these cases, start to look at it from the standpoint of, is this person really making any sense? Because I'm not sure that, um, you know, it flew past. Everybody was like convinced that he was murdered and everybody's convinced that x-ray was his, but it could have been anybody's x-ray. So barring any DNA, I'm not willing to concede that point. So yeah, so when you look at the Epstein case and you look at all the people talking about him, you're you're kind of starting to go back onto the team thing, which I've talked about in several episodes. Because if you really believe, which is kind of the current thinking that seems to be around YouTube here, if you believe that Donald Trump and William Barr are here to clean up, clean up the pedophile mess, then I'm here to tell you that you're playing a team game and that's not going to happen. So go back and listen to my episodes as far as the bar Trump deal. And they're playing the long game here, folks. Okay. They're setting everybody up on a team. So they're acting like if we pay attention to and support the Trump and bar team, they're going to clean up the pedophiles. And really, I'm not going to get into a big deal about it again, but just think about what you're hearing, okay? Because if you think those two are going to clean up society, <clears throat> I feel like I've wasted my breath. But anyway, so get off those teams because the team thing is here to convince and divide and split us. That's all it is. And now the latest team thing, which is kind of interesting on Twitter, is they're playing this team thing with all the um, baby boomers like myself who were born after World War II are a bunch of louses that ruined everything. Well, I admit that everything was ruined, but I personally didn't necessarily have a part in it because I've been working for 20, 25 years to expose it all. So um, yeah, they're even trying to splinter us into the older people versus the younger people. And that's not going to work with me and get off those teams is what I can say to people. So speaking of teams, we have the United Nations. And I want to talk today about the Baileys. Um, I ran across Alice a while back, and I thought, while we're getting further into this United Nations thing, let's talk about how it all got started. That's always the interesting part here. Because really, unless we're going to fix it, in order to fix things, we have to know how big the problem is. So that's a lot of what we're exploring here. So, And speaking of the problem, I'll just interject this quickly before I get into the Baileys. Um, please support Kevin Annette. Kevin is the defrock priest from Canada who's working tirelessly um, for the homeless and the um, buried bodies and the missing children and stuff up in Canada. So he's a really good guy. He's a truth teller. He's got a channel here on YouTube. And please support him whatever way you can, because it's hard being a truth teller in this kind of day and age. I mean, look at the kind of views we get for this kind of stuff. You would think that people would be all over wanting to hear about the current status of children being raped. But no, they're clinging to the past. I mean, I've heard people in the last week or so talk about the finders and stuff. Well, that was from 30 years ago. So wake up, folks. Let's get moving along here and try to figure out how we got here. And 
once we figure out how he got here, then let's figure out a way to legislate our way out of this because um, I don't know. It's just me and you guys. And if you can support the channel in any way, please do. But it's a pretty, pretty rough scene out there. So we're always talking about the Freemasons and the Illuminatis and all this. And so this Bailey, um, entering the Baileys into the United Nations story will help to clear up some of this um, Illuminati uh, Freemasons. How, how are Freemasons? What are Illuminatis? And how do they all work in this? Well, Alice is married to, a, was, I mean, they're dead. I mean, <laughs> years ago. Alice A. Bailey, who came from the UK, was married to a guy named Foster Bailey. He was a 32 degree, and some of you will know a lot more about this than I do. So please join in the comments because this is a chat, not a lecture. So Foster Bailey was a 32 degree Freemason. And from what I understand from you guys is that you have to be a 32 degree to become an Illuminati. So um, anyway, so Alice is, um, she's the author of the book, was Foster? Yeah, Foster, the husband, sorry. <laughs> I got the Fosters and Bailey screwed up. Um, he was the author of the book, The Spirit of Masonry. And they both established the Lucifer, as in Satan. I read a quote the other day that said, the clever thing about Satan is that nobody believes he exists. That's the whole thing. So they started this, Allison um, Foster guy, they started this Lucifer Publishing Company in 1920. Kind of interesting, huh? They were already over here in this country at that point. Um, and in 1922, however, it was changed to the Lucis, L-U-C-I-S Trust, to make the Luc Luciferian connotations less conspicuous, <laughs> I would say so. Um, Alice A. Bailey was also known as the High Priestess and Prophetess of the New Age. And in 1932, um, Alice Bailey and her husband, they started um, World Goodwill, okay, 1932, an official non-government organization within the United Nations. Um, and so they got this thing in the United Nations, um, and what they did was um, they always have these, to me, they seem kind of like vague um vague theories of what they're going to do. The the theories of this world goodwill is to help mobilize the energy of goodwill to cooperate in the work of preparation for the reappearance of the Christ, to educate public opinion on the causes of the major world problems, and to help create the thought form of solution. Sounds kind of vague to me, but anyway, I'll join you in the comments. So the Baileys were not using world goodwill to prepare the world for Jesus Christ, but rather the new age cosmic Christ who would unite all religions and countries. See, everything, if you start to notice with all these groups and these NGOs, there's a lot of Christian stuff going on here. So I'm not really sure because we seem to have wars in Muslim countries and this Christians seem to be in charge of this stuff. So I'm not a religious person, so you'll have to fill me in. So this is another example of how global politics are really being used for the hidden agenda of United the World's religion. The UN, the Lucas Trust. So let's talk about the Lucas Trust. It was established in 1922, and it was to disseminate the books of Bailey and Blastavy, B-L-A-V-A-T-S-K-Y. And they were also connected and the, theo 
these this is this thing is a show of words <laughs> I'll never be able to pronounce. Theoscopical. T-H-E-O-S-O-P-I-C-H-I-K-L Society. The title page of Alice Bailey's book, Initiation, Human, and Solar, was originally printed in 1922 and clearly shows, if I looked it up, and it shows, you can see there, it says Lucifer Printing Company. So I like to kind of verify all these things to make sure that I haven't, I would wish that, you know what I've been thinking about? I really wish that somebody would write in the comments and say, you've got this all wrong. Children are doing great. So anyways, yeah, I'm always double checking things to make sure I'm still reading the right information in the right century. So Lucid's Trust and Publishing House, which prints, this is what Alice and um, the hubby did was they started this Lucifer place, which is the publishing house, which, so they're pretty close, which prints and disseminates the United Nations material. Lucid's Trust was established and it was um, to do the books. I really might type there. And so due to public outrage over the creepy name of the publishing company, (laughs) let's say creepy name. See, that's why I'm always saying none of this stuff is hiding because it really isn't. I mean, look at all the symbols around us. If you look at this Lucis um, trust thing, I'll put some links down. Everything is about the three triangles, okay? And the I and our um, symbols are everywhere. And people have said the symbols are going to be what brings these people down because once you start looking around for those symbols, it's kind of hard to miss them. Um, So anyway, so... It's a devastating indictment of the new age and pagan nature of the United Nations. So, yeah, the UN tends to be, it seems, it seems, okay, it seems like it's new age and pagan, okay? And it seems like they're really on board with the Satan stuff of the UN because they're into this Antichrist stuff. So, just saying, okay. The Luciferian worshipers, they worship the Illuminati or the Illuminated ones. There is a Satan's kingdom, a hierarchy of power. Illuminati specifically refers to the ruling elite at the top of the hierarchical pyramid structure of power. And some people are Illuminatis, like the uh, Rothschilds are Illuminatis. I mean, there's it's a whole um, thing. The Illuminati are spiritually guided by demon-possessed Luciferians. They're, the demon-possessed Luciferians, um, worshipers such as that Madame... Bulbasky, she's somebody, Alice Bailey, Albert Pike, and Alistair Crowley. See, all these people all connect again. Alistair Crowley, I connected him with um, um, Kenzie. Um, Kenzie was alleged that Alfred Crowley had committed, committed, submitted some of the research in the um, horrible Kenzie research that was done with uh, masturbating children. So, yeah, so they all kind of, so... Lucis Trust propagates the work of an ascended master, a demon-possessed person who was working through Alice for 30 years. So Alice felt like she channeled these demon people, okay? And she was alive from 1880 to 1949. I was born in 51, so I missed my chance to meet Alice. Sounds like quite a gal. Um, Alice communicated with a demonic being named Master Dijuan Clue, K-H-U-L, who instructed Bailey and her followers. See, she's getting the words from somebody she channeled, some evil um, Satan person, okay? And this is the influence to the UN, so let's not lose track of that here. And her followers to prepare men for the reappearance of the Christ. This is your first duty. The occult symbols appear on the U.S. 
dollar throughout Washington, D.C. And they also use that pointy thing like a phallic symbol. <laughs> um, and they use it on music color, uh, music covers, churches, business logos, everywhere we look. So what they're saying is that what these people are saying, these people that are looking for this Antichrist stuff, is that the masses of this world are being conditioned and prepared to receive the man of sin, the Antichrist. I'm a little bit fuzzy on this Antichrist thing still. So, In a Satan workshop, there is a left-handed path. Now, I've never been to a Satan workshop, so I'd like to clear. I've been to some crazy New Age workshops when I was younger, but <clears throat> never got never got on board with the Satan part of it. So, in the Satan workshop, there is a left-hand path and the right-hand path. The left-hand path is open Satanism, exemplified by such Luciferians as Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey. The right-hand path <clears throat> is deception, kind of like what we're looking at the UN and our governments. The right-hand path is deception. Satan is transforming himself into Christ. Luciferians such as Charles Russell, Joseph Smith, Ron Hubbard, the Pope, and Alice Bailey exemplify the right-hand path. The Pope is also a... Uh, the Jesuits come into here somewhere because the Pope was picked because he was a Jesuit. So a little bit foggy on this Jesuit thing still. So so anyway, so these people, um, the Bailey speaks of Christ often, but she speaks of the Antichrist, okay? And there's a big difference in that. I, there's a guy that I know, and he he knows all this stuff, the numbers, the symbols, and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes he goes so far for me. I'm like, please, <laughs> I, I know as much as I need to know for right now, because when you get into all these symbols and stuff, I mean, it becomes almost... Well, take a look at some of these symbols and start looking around and you'll start to see them. Every, there's actually a term for that. When you know something, then you feel like you start to see it everywhere. But yeah, with these symbols, you really start to see it pretty clearly. Um, what in these triangles, the symbols, that eye and all this kind of stuff, this all got started by the Baileys. Okay, so we can thank the Baileys. I don't, I don't know if they ever had kids. Have to look that up. So. The people who are naive of the Holy Bible are also deceived by her. I don't know about that whole Bible thing because, you know, it was rewritten so many times. So not a not a um, um, church study person here. So take it for what it's worth. I don't know about the Bible because I kind of question anything that's been rewritten so many times. So, But I don't mean to offend anybody. If your religion is important to you, then I try to use good boundaries in that I don't personally participate in organized religion, but I'm not saying that nobody else should. But um, in her book, Alice wrote, she wrote a bunch of books, um, The Externalization of the Hierarchy. She mentions Christ, this is the interesting part, 666 times, which is her clever, 666, okay, which is her clever way of telling other cultists that her Christ is indeed the Antichrist. See, we get this 666 deal, okay. And I, I didn't get a chance to go look look through New Age books and stuff, but it did say that many of the hardcore New Age books are published by Lucis Trust. So I don't know. I'd probably, before I bought a New Age book, if I were ever to get interested in that again, not the Satan part, but I would um, probably check to see who the publisher was. Um, at one time, and this is, is interesting too, the Lucis Trust office in New York was located at 666 United Nations. <laughs> now, if you have a building and it's, Street address is 666. That's, as a matter of fact, Jared Kushner. It was the worst real estate deal in the city of New York. That's <laughs> a 666 something. So, 
Okay, so in an in an Alice Bailey book called Education for a New Age, this is where all this is going here, she suggests that in a new age world citizenship should be the goal of the enlightened world citizenship in a world federation and a world brain. In other words, one world government, new world order. And this is interesting, too, because it's looking at this, these things with a fresh light again, because um, who are some of these sponsors of Lucis Trust? They have sponsors. So let's take a look at who some of these people are, okay? Because then you can start to connect them a little bit further here. The sponsors, and this one really kind of surprised me. I, I, I don't get really that surprised anymore, but, you know, I had to raise my eyebrow a little bit. Um, one of the sponsors of the Lucis Trust are, uh, is the Greenpeace International. Greenpeace USA, Amnesty International, and UNICEF. So with that, I will part with you for today and uh, be safe out there. And please join me in the comments. This is a global problem. Whatever you can do to help the show is greatly appreciated. And be safe out there and I'll chat with you next week. Goodbye for now.